Yes, there were always, you know, quote unquote, beef between people and, and, and things like that. But all in all, I think we all had somewhat of a similar background. You know, mm -hmm. we were all international. We all came from different places of the world. We were all in, in Japan together. And for the overwhelming majority of the time, we all got along with each other. I think that was that was something really special. You don't actually really experience anywhere else at least i haven't you know mm. i went to college i had a fantastic time in college but it's not like i know everybody in my college right we're yeah. talking you know a few thousand students as opposed to 400 in high school um and and, and so that that was i think really really good Welcome to the 59th episode of Tokyo Alumni Podcast. Today, our guest was born and raised in Tokyo. He attended ASIJ from nursery kindergarten and graduated in 2003. He completed his undergraduate degree in Boston, then received his master's in London. After working in top capital cities like New York, London, and Tokyo in finance for Lehman Brothers and medical devices for Boston Scientific, he joined his family business, which owns several distributions for international health and beauty brands. In 2017, he started ReEarth, a nature-derived, efficacious, and minimalistic skincare brand for healthy mochi skin. Using ingredients backed by studies from reputable universities like Kindai University and Oxford University, ReEarth combines the Japanese way of life with cutting-edge technology, proprietary ingredients including Japanese white turmeric, which grows only on the brand farms in the Kyushu region of Japan. Outside of work, his interests lie in fitness, horticulture, particularly succulent and cacti, and won't miss an opportunity to have a coffee or a cigar. Welcome to the podcast, Shinji. Uh, thanks for having me, Nick. So it's uh, great it's to see to you. you. Uh, yeah, well, it's been a long time, huh? I haven't seen you probably since high school or maybe even beginning of college in the summer or something. Yeah, it's been about 20 years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's long when you put it that way, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, good to see you've been doing well, though. Um, you know, re-earth, and uh, you know, we'll talk a bit about skincare. And um, yep. time allows. At the end, I am quite interested about the whole Scotch whiskey. I know from your Instagram, you're quite the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I have a I have a bad habit of just buying bottles and not drinking them, though. That's uh, <laughs> where, where do those models go? Uh, they're, they're actually here. They just sit on the counter because I don't really drink alone um, or I, I, I don't really drink much at home. I just, so I, I actually don't know why I buy so many bottles because I don't drink it that much. So, well, that's something good that we all know. So if maybe ASIJ grads can maybe have a big party at your place sometime. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Take care of that problem. So um, we'll, we'll go in a chronological order, sort of a nice okay. way to sort of things in line. And uh, I was wondering first, if you could just tell us a bit about your family background and, you know, why did your folks decide to send you to an international school, uh, specifically SIJ? Well, my, my father's side, Yamasaki family, is um, he, he's full Japanese, but quite an international family, an extended family on that side as well. Um, growing up, most of his cousins spoke English or were educated in, in the UK. And this is, you know, back in the, he was born in 1943. So uh, 
it's quite different, I guess, for a Japanese family. And even actually for our, um, on that side of the family, whenever we get family reunions, we have a lot of international marriages. Mm. Um, so we, we have, you know, we have a, a Dane, Norwegian, Peruvian, Singaporean, Korean, uh, well, Canadian now, and Indian, of course, with my mother. So it, it's, it's quite an international Japanese family to begin with. Um, and on my mother's side, my mother, as I said, she's half Indian, half Japanese. My grandmother was actually um, Japanese. Uh, and my aunt is actually also an ASIJ grad. I guess my mother uh, demanded that I go to ASIJ to my father's. And, and that's kind of how it began. That's really interesting that you guys have such a rich history of being an international family. Um, it seems like today you just see so many more mixed kids right just, yeah um, absolutely you know you mentioned your your grandmother was japanese and then your grandpa grandma on the other side and then your grandfather was indian yeah so growing up did you feel like that quarter part of you was that very prevalent in the household in i, I guess from on so on my mother's side it was pretty prevalent they considered themselves uh, a almost fully Indian family, not half Japanese, half Indian. I know Nady Bakes and Mikey Stevens are going to comment uh, on this. So I am going to say this one thing. Technically, yes, my grandfather is from what is now Pakistan. Mm. So, but that was before the partitions. And after the partition, he stayed in India. Therefore, he had an Indian nationality. But the city where he's from, which is Peshawar, is in Pakistan now. Interesting. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, so I think that being um, foreigners in Japan at that time, I believe they came over in the 60s. So obviously, there aren't that many foreigners to begin with, let alone many Indians. So I think the Indian identity was kept very strong on purpose. It was almost, you know, to, to as, as, as kind of, you know, well, yeah, I mean, that, that it was part of their identity and it, it was something that they, that they felt stronger being away from that. Um, mm -hmm. So when I was growing up, it was definitely, you know, it didn't quite register to me that my grandmother was actually Japanese. Mm -hmm. um, it was, you know, my, the Japanese family, which is my father's family, and the Indian family mm -hmm. uh, in my head, you know, and that, that genuinely is what it was like. You bring up a great point about when you are like a minority, I feel like your identity is, you feel it stronger. I could definitely mm. relate to that. When I'm in Japan, I'm like, Amerikajin, you know, like I'm like, you mm. represent. Um, but the moment I, I'm like in Korea or I'm in the States, I'm like, I'm Nihonjin, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's very strong suddenly. Um, whereas mm. I, I don't feel very Japanese all of a sudden when I'm in Tokyo. D do you feel similar, you know, having lived in places like Tokyo and London? Um, you know, actually not so much. I, I guess I, I don't feel very strongly Japanese either. Um, even being in Japan, I think. Um, because I come from a very mixed background. So there wasn't like traditional Japanese family. Um, so very, obviously, very, I guess, westernized, very mixed, very multicultural, obviously going to ASIJ as well, right? All the people that 
I knew until, you know, until I went to college, that we, were all, we were all from all over the place, um, different backgrounds, but similar situations. Mm. Um, but living in, yeah, going, when I was, I went to school in Boston, working in New York or, or um, London, not, yeah, not, not really. I didn't feel like any more Japanese come out. Mm. Um, but also you could see other Asians in those cities. Mm. You know? Good point. And, and having lived in those three locations, I mean, I know now we've seen cities like Shanghai, uh, not, it's not a city, but you know, Singapore is on the rise. Mm. I guess they've always been on the rise last 20 years, but it seems like a, it always comes back to Tokyo, New York, and um, London. So having lived in all three of those locations, you know, mm, if there are any yeah. younger alumni watching, what would you say are the prominent sort of similarities and differences you've noticed uh, having lived in all three of those capitals? Well, not capitals, but, you know. City. Man, that's hard. I think similarities, I would say it's, I mean, it's a big city. And uh, especially at that age that I was, I was uh, basically outside of Tokyo until around 30. They're good cities to be in. They're fun. You know, mm. it's, uh, there's, there's people from all over the world, New York, both in New York and in London. You'll meet new people all the time. Um, great food, great nightlife scene, easy to travel from those places as well. So in that sense, there's definitely those similarities. Yeah, they're both exciting in different ways. I am more partial to New York, to be frank, mm. um, uh, than London. I had a great time in London. I was there for five years. Um, but it's not a city that I would think really think about living again. Uh, what, what, do you think, uh, what do you think puts New York sort of a notch above London? Uh, well, New York is definitely 24 hours which I realized London is not after living there. Mm -hmm. uh, most places will close by 10. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> is that illegal? I, I'm, I'm excluding, I'm excluding like, you know, nightclubs and stuff like that. Mm. But you know, like the stores and restaurants, they usually don't go long that long. And obviously if the more central London you are, the longer they do stay open. Mm. But even then, it's, you know, the moment you step outside, slightly outside, um, it's all closed, um, which, I mean, in New York City, it's just all, 24 hours all the time. Mm. Uh, and New York definitely has an energy in the air that I feel London didn't have. Interesting. Like, just, I could walk New York up and down, no problems. It was just, you know, it's just a great feeling. People were always doing something always getting somewhere um, and there's just a buzz in New York and uh, London not so much interesting and, you know. and how, how would Tokyo fit into that sort of uh, competition oh yeah uh, um, <laughs> I think yeah for me Tokyo's numbers oh man I'm gonna this aren't I <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tokyo's number uh, probably number two or number three. New yeah. York is still number one for me. It's it's just that that kind of place. Um, it, it's always exciting and things. But Tokyo is, I think, also because Tokyo. I'm from Tokyo, mm. right? So it doesn't have the 
excitement that New York or London did being an outsider living there. Mm. Born and raised in Tokyo, it's like nothing's really new. Nothing is that exciting. It's fun, yes, of course, you know, but it's not, it's, it, there's no freshness to it. It's, it's almost like, you know, you've kind of done and seen everything. And not to mention, Tokyo is, you know, 95, more than 95% Japanese, mm. right? So there isn't that mix of cultures and, and backgrounds that you would find in London or New York in Tokyo. Mm. Yeah, that, that's definitely a point that yeah, I was hoping you'd touch upon, that sort of difference of homogeneous versus heterogeneous yeah. cultures. And it, it, it is a weird sort of anomaly almost, right, where you, all these other cities just are quite heterogeneous. And then you just have yeah. Japan. That's like you said, Absolutely. I don't know what the statistics are, but it's definitely. Very- I think, I mean, nationally, I think it's like 99 or 98 or 98% Japanese. Wow. I know it's grown a little more. Like when we were in high school, I think the statistic was like even less than that. It was like 99.5% Japanese or something. So there was like no foreigners. Yeah, there wasn't many. It was basically all no. people. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's funny you mentioned that because we I was talking to a, a, you know, a few guys from St. Mary's and Sacred Heart and, and things the other day um, that are still in Tokyo. And just the number of tourists and foreigners we saw last mm. year, because this is pre-corona I'm talking about, was insane. It was just like, it was very strange to see that. Because like you said, when we were growing up, if you saw a foreigner, chances are they were people you knew directly or their family members or had some sort of connection to one of the schools. You know, there, there was some connection that you could recognize them. Chances yeah. are. But now yeah. it wasn't like, it's, or it hasn't been like that. And so I looked up the statistics and apparently we are, that I graduated 2003, the number of tourists in Japan was 4 million. And I believe 19, uh, 2018 or 2018 or 2019, uh, maybe 2019, it was 40 million. <laughs> so that's a huge increase, right? It makes sense now. All, all the, you know, you just see so many more foreign faces. And mm. uh, that's why this whole coronavirus has just been really it's, it's sort of a double whammy for, for Japan. Yeah. There's so much you know, energy in that tourist industry. Yeah. I mean, oh. the tourist industry, tourism industry, I guess, in Japan was already quite established because domestic tourism was quite big, mm. right? And then when the international tourists came in, I think that really, I mean, Japan made an effort for that as well. Mm. Uh, but it also kind of, there, there, there has been some backlash due to that as well in certain areas because it was just overrun. Mm. I, I use, is that sort of the sort of nationalistic, you mean like movements that are taking place? Or no, I wouldn't say nationalistic. It's just the fact that there were too many tourists in, in, in a small area. So like if you take Kyoto, for example, it was packed, packed mm. with tourists. And um, you could feel that a lot of the locals had had enough. Mm. Um, not necessarily because they weren't, they were... Not, you know, not, not, not being like xenophobic or anything. It's just they would leave their house and it's literally <laughs> full of tourists. You know, yeah. like getting around Kyoto 
is a pain or was a pain mm. um, simply because of the number of people there were all of a sudden. Yeah. I mean, that's fair assertion when you have like a thousand percent increase, right? You said 4 million to yeah. 40. I mean, I wouldn't want to be in a tourist city um, yeah. at all. In, in that exactly. Time. And, you know, you have um, this background of your family's business and, you know, you're taking over the mantle, uh, you know, and I'm at least through <laughs> your own right projects. And I imagine eventually completely. And one thing I was curious was, you know, you have this background working in New York and London for, you know, companies like Lehman Brothers and um, I think it was Boston um, Pharmaceuticals. Boston, yeah, Boston Scientific. Sorry, Boston Scientific. At any point did you sort of think, I don't really want to, you know, go into the healthcare industry and I want to go a totally other route or was it always sort of the plan that? No, it was, it was never the plan actually, uh, uh, to be quite frank, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what I wanted to do getting out of graduating high school. I had no idea what I wanted to do sophomore year in college and senior year obviously at sophomore you have to decide what your major is going to be right so I, I chose marketing and international studies and when I graduated I basically applied to a whole bunch of different things hmm. and tried to get you know both Shomeng and Udaguchi um, hmm. uh, and then thankfully I you know I, I landed a very a great job for a marketing guy at Lehman Brothers uh, I was in the marketing department um, yeah. covering fixed income. And uh, no, I started with equities. Sorry. So, so you had no idea we wanted to do high school, college. I mean, I think that's most people. Uh, yeah. But then, yeah. you know, so you're in finance. So for a while, you were basically, so it wasn't actually, so I, I totally misconstrued, you know, based on your background of uh, having worked with, you know, Boston, um, I keep saying Boston, not uh, pharmaceutical, Boston Scientific yeah. and stuff. I was like, okay, he, it was probably all planned. But then how did you end up then with, um, I know we're kind of going a little bit forward uh, than I planned, but um, how did Re-Earth then begin in 2017? Yeah. What was sort of the well, lead up to that? Well, so I joined um, the family business in, I want to say 2011. Mm. So I've been with the company for almost 10 years now. Wow, wow, 10 years. Um, <laughs> uh, and... At the time, I was still living in London because we have a lot of partners in, in Europe. And while, when I was there, um, we were starting a lot of new business with European companies. So I was actually quite traveling quite a bit within Europe, Switzerland, Germany, um, Spain, Sweden, Denmark, where all of these companies are and building a relationship with these people and, 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 and building a long-term partnership. Uh, and then I came back to Japan and Japanese sales or Japanese business is not really my thing. Mm -hmm. It's not my specialty, first of all. Uh, it's, it's, although I've lived here for until I was 18, kind of mentality is very different, uh, right? Um, how how that's not where from sort of the, you know, Western... Uh, well, very, very katai, mm. you know, um, very, very regimented, very, um, I don't, yeah, I don't want to say they're square, but it, it, it's kind of like, it is what it is 
kind mm. of mentality. Flow, free flow of ideas, discussions, these things just not commonplace. Mm. Um, and I actually, I actually first realized that not at my company, but when I was working for um, Boston Scientific in Tokyo. So that was my first kind of uh, experience working for a company in Japan after mm. I graduated college. Uh, actually, I, no, I, after I graduated college, I was Lehman. Uh, we all know how what happened at Lehman. So I uh, came back to Japan in 2009 or 10. No, mm. nine. And that was my first experience going to an office full of Japanese. Mm. And although it was an American company, the inside was all Japanese. Right? So mm. even, even small things like where you're supposed to stand in the elevator mm. was like, what? You know, I had <laughs> never even realized that that yeah. was a thing. Yeah. Seeing, you know, at, at the very bottom of the totem pole, I am not allowed to stand in certain areas of the, in the elevator. Oh, wow. I wasn't even aware of that either, even though I, I right? was. At, like, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's super, like, just it's, it's just, it seems so ineffective, just these. Right. Like, so, so it's very structured and there's, there's certain things you're supposed to do and nobody knows why it does. It's like that. Mm. So after uh, working at um, Boston Scientific here, I worked for a bit in London, uh, went to grad school and then started at my family business. So when I came back to Tokyo in 2000, it's 2021, I want to say 2015, 14. Sorry, I should have looked this up before. Approximately, something like that, something like that, yeah. It was definitely a, it took me a while to adapt, mm. which is, I mean, it took me a while to adapt when I was at Boston Scientific, but I was, I knew I was always going to go back to, uh, go to the UK. Mm. Um, so I kind of gamanshita. Yeah. And, you know, and then, and then after a year or so, I went to the UK, uh, to London. Um, but when I came back here, it took about a year and a half to two years for me to get comfortable with my day-to-day -day of being in, in Japan. But sorry, so, so we went off on a little bit of a tangent <laughs> there. But so the whole reason why we started ReEarth was the, the Japanese market is not my strengths. Our company has guys who know that inside and out and have been in the industry for, you know, for decades. So as a kind of uh, side project, I said, okay, well, where are my strengths? I can bring probably Japanese elements outside of Japan. Um, that, and so that, that's kind of how we started. Went to Singapore looking for an opportunity in Singapore I'm uh, very, very lucky and very grateful that I met um, my current partners now at that yeah. time. And we started um, our company. We launched our product in um, 2017, October 2017. So when you say, you know, these, these Japanese elements of this product you guys mm. produce, I mean, so what this thing about... Um, the proprietary ingredients of Japanese white turmeric. Yep. Um, 
I, I'm not really aware of this. What, what, is, what is the Japanese name and stuff of this, this product from Kyushu? Uh, it's a Shiroko. Oh, Shiroko. So, yeah, so white turmeric. Um, but we actually have a patent on it. And it's mm. uh, a very, very unique um, type of turmeric. It, um, it only grows on our farm. Mm. Uh, it genuinely only grows on our farm. Uh, and we're the only ones that has it. And we've been, um, so our company has, the Japanese side of the company, um, has been supporting and researching into this type, this turmeric for almost 20 years now through Kindai University. And it, as it turns out, the, the Japanese white turmeric, as well as the Japanese spring turmeric, so we have patents on two different turmerics, um, are fantastic for um, skincare, for your skin health. Um, so we based products on that. Um, so it's a very unique compound, very unique ingredients, it's just extracted, natural, of course. And uh, it, it gives fantastic results. Uh, and throughout the research, obviously we've started this, um, the first iteration was in cosmetics, but we've now recently, past few years, um, have discovered that it's actually fantastic for your joints if you take it ingestible. As mm. it, so we've made, we actually have a, um, uh, a joint supplement as well, uh, based on the Japanese white turmeric. Uh, it's called Turmeron Joint, and we're, we're selling it in Singapore and Japan and the U.S. right now. And this whole thing with, with skincare, um, you know, as, all right, so I want to shift over now uh, a bit to hobbies. You have quite um, the Instagram following. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. I, I, put, I, put, I put a bunch of random things up there. So, so uh, we could talk a bit about the random things. Um, we mentioned, um, I don't even know if it was on air or off air, a bit about scotch, whiskey, and, and cigars. Um, yep. It, it seems like, you know, some people in the ASIJ community really get into cigars. Um, I was oh, yeah? not one of them. Yeah, it, it seems like, um, I don't know if it's sort of the rareness or sort of like, it, it, it kind of is, a, I guess, a luxury item. So, so what got you into uh, cigars in the first place? You know, a funny thing you asked that. I was talking about this with um, some of my fellow cigar guys. There's a group of us um, at TAC, actually. Uh, and we get together and we smoke together and things like that. But um, I can't remember the first cigar that I had. Mm. Most of them could. I couldn't remember. So that probably means I probably had it when I was in Dopongi or something. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's like probably like since high school and then every once in a while, you know. But I, I started really getting into it after I moved back um, to Japan after London, towards the tail end of London and, and coming to, um, to Japan, I guess. So I, in London, I was smoking towards the tail end a little more um, pipes more. And then when I came to Japan, I kind of switched more to um, cigars. It definitely, I think it, from an outside, it has this image, especially in Japan, of it being a luxury item. Mm. Uh, and in Japan, it is, I would say, because they're stupidly priced. But it's actually not, they're not expensive. Mm. Um, if, you, uh, if you're in the States, you, you go to, you know, you just type in cigar stores online. And for you, 
there, there are a few brands like um, Arturo Fuente and things like that, where a stick is, you know, $5. So it's, they're not that, of course, there are ones that are very, very expensive. Um, but you don't have to pay a lot for a good cigar. I think what's really interesting with cigars is, is the image, right? I was actually just thinking about when LeBron James, right, the basketball right. player, won the championship, uh, was that four or five months ago, he was smoking a cigar. And yeah. I think it's sort of a good segue into your other major sort of hobby. And, you know, we've talked about whiskey and cigars, which, which don't seem like the healthiest right, <laughs> uh, hobbies to, you know, indulge in. Well, it's, it's all about the frequency that it happens, right? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It's not like, you're, you know, you drink whiskey every night and, yeah. and uh, smoke cigars every night. The other, you know, hobby that you're quite intense about is weightlifting. So yeah. um, when, when did this begin? And, you know, how do you sort of maintain um, this? I, and I, I hesitate to call it a hobby because it seems more like a lifestyle. It kind of reminds me That's of that, uh, the, 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 the cl- cliche of it being a lifestyle, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're talking I was about just say, there, there was a guest uh, a few episodes ago who was like a runner, but like, we're not talking about runner, like, you know, me who runs 10 K. It was like, Oh, he runs a hundred K. So it's kind of like, yeah, folks, it's like, how do you be a lawyer and at the same time run 100K? Mm. And, and it was interesting talking to him about that. So I'm kind of interested, you know, from you being the CEO, very busy guy, also with a whiskey and cigars. Like, how do you maintain the lifestyle <laughs> of, of, you know, essentially lifting weights quite extensively? I've definitely, my frequency has gone down. Definitely. But I've changed my way of training so i don't think i could train more than i do now my body would be able to handle it i probably i started you know strength training sievers mm-hmm. you know sij sievers that was that was that was the beginning um in a way because um i don't know if you recall i was a pretty tubby kid um right so i was you know a center of the football team not a very good one but i was still the center of the football team I remember um, you were on the, the football time. team yeah. <laughs> yeah, but so like when I joined football, I think sophomore year, I was, you know, bordering 90 kilos. Um, so that was and that's all fat. Right. It was I was I was not particularly muscular. I, I, actually, I was not muscular in any way at that point. Um, but then uh, I guess I kind of got sick of it, of being at that weight, uh, And I lost a lot of it. Um, between the summer of sophomore year and junior year. Um, and by the time I graduated, I was like 62 kilos or something. Um, but I've always enjoyed training. Yeah. I've always enjoyed training and going to the gym, working on exercising and things like that. I wish I knew then what I know now because I mm. feel I would have been a lot, I would be a lot bigger now had I known and done what I should have been doing, which I wasn't. Um, but now it's, yeah, I just trained six times a week. Uh, sorry, three times a week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <are you> talking about? <laughs> no, it, it's, it's just, yeah, just six, uh, three, just three times a week. Uh, I used to train six times a week. I mean, so how does, with six times a week, are we, are we talking about personal trainers? Do you just, is there a gym no, that never, a few minutes away? I mean, how, how does one um, keep- No, I used to just go to the gym. I'm college. In college, I was go to the gym, yeah, six days a week. Afterwards, in New York, when I started working at Lehman, I admit, not so much. Um, a lot of partying and drinking took precedence at that time. 
Um, but yeah, but after that, after when I moved back to Tokyo, since then, I've probably been going to the gym at least, you know, three times a week. So for over, you know, almost 10 years or something. Wow. So it all More started with uh, Coach Seavers. Yeah, absolutely. Training. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wonder if that um, course is still around, you know? I believe it is. I believe it is. I mean, Seavers, unfortunately, is uh, no longer there, but. Yeah, I guess someone's yeah. got to take over. I'd be, it'd be interesting yeah. to see. Yeah. I, I was, I was, believe it or not, in that class too, but I was always in the, that four groups and I was always. Yeah, in the right, right, right. <laughs> and I, I might have gone to the second group like a little bit for about two weeks. And I was just mm -hmm. like, I, I don't know. I think I might have been like, I was in a different, yeah, I was in a group I shouldn't have been in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the worst thing you could do with strength training because it just, you know. Yeah, yeah, true. So, um, you know, before we wrap it up, while we're on the topic of ASIJ, yep. um, is there anything about ASIJ that you, that sticks out to you the most when you think back to your time there? We talked a bit about American football, strength training. Um, I guess the, the friendships and in that sense, like the, the, the social elements of ASIJ. Yes, there were always, you know, quote unquote beef between people and, and, and things like that. But all in all, I think we all had somewhat of a similar background. You know, mm -hmm. we were all international. We all came from different places of the world. We were all in, in Japan together. And for the overwhelming majority of the time, we all got along with each other. I think that was that was something really special. You don't actually really experience anywhere else. At least I haven't. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to college. I had a fantastic time in college, but it's not like I know everybody in my college, right? We're yeah. talking, you know, a few thousand students as opposed to 400 in high school. Um, and, and, and so that, that was, I think, really, really good. And has a lot of those friendships survived the many years, especially through social media? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I talked to, you know, a few of the guys from our, my, our group quite often. We have a chat on WhatsApp and, you know, obviously I see a lot of people on Facebook. Well, not so much Facebook because I hardly, very rarely use Facebook itself, um, but on Instagram and things like that. Um, yeah, I see them or just comments and things like that. So I think social media is definitely, as much as flack that it gets um, in, in the media or in, you know, in things, I think it's, it's a great tool for people like us who are really scattered all over the globe um, just to keep in contact. Even if we don't talk to each other, at least we kind of know what's going on with everyone. And I think that's a really great thing. I, yeah, I strongly agree that like, there's those people you might not talk to, but at least it's nice to know, oh, they're married. You know, oh, they yeah. got two kids, you know, as opposed to not seeing them for 20 years and then having to catch up like exactly <laughs> you know, for 20 years worth. Um, yeah, yeah that, that's a great point. Um, social media does get flack, but it does really help people like us who are sort of yes. global nomads. And, yeah. Um, on that note, um, I want to move on to the final point, which is I like to ask okay. the guests at the end um, what is coming up in their lives the next few years, the next few decades. So okay. um, I you could tell us uh, what is to come. Oh, what is to come? I, I, I guess um, kids eventually um, getting, uh, having the wedding, hopefully by the end of the year after all this pandemic is over. 
Um, business, I have um, a few projects in, in, in the works for uh, Re-Earth, a few um, product launches. We're actually launching a new product. Um, I don't know when, when this is airing, but on, on the 4th. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. You mean like in two days? In two days, in two days. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'm like, it just came out a few days ago. <laughs> so. Okay. <laughs> it just came out a few days ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, throughout the, this year, we have a few other projects. We just opened up a new um, shop at Tang's in Singapore, which is a, a really big milestone for us. And so we're, we're keeping, hoping to, to keep that going. Um, few other business projects that are kind of in the back of my heads that that head that I'm trying to see if uh, it can come to fruition. Hopefully, it can. Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess, and of course, keep lifting and having whiskeys and cigars. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot going on in the personal front and professional front. Yes. Um, you know, yeah. Wish you the the best of luck in both. Thank you very much. And the item is not, or the item has come out. <laughs> so. Has come out now. Yeah, has come out. Right. <laughs> okay, maybe put, put in a little linky thing thing in there. Yeah, um, it would be great. It's a hand cream. It's a completely different type of hand cream. Um, not sticky at all. Really, really nourishing um, and fantastic for us uh, these days because, you know, we're washing our hands so often and disinfecting our hands with alcohol and things like that. Great point. So, yeah. So, um, that was episode 59, uh, Tokyo Alumni Podcast. Thank you, Shinji, uh, for being here. Thanks a lot, Nick.